From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Wednesday, November fifteenth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese President Xi Jinping is now in San Francisco for a one-on-one -on -one talk with U.S. President Joe Biden, as well as the APEC meetings. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. And Xinjiang is stepping up efforts to build a pilot-free trade zone to facilitate China's westward opening up. Coming up in business, China's economy showed signs of improvement in October. In sports, Hebei province will host a major ski and snowboard event. In culture and entertainment, Beijing launches a global Performing Arts Association. Now checking the day's top stories. The widely anticipated meeting between the two heads of state, uh, President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden, will be their first in-person interaction since the G20 summit in Bali last year. Xu Xinchen explains the significance of the meeting and possible issues up for discussion between the two leaders. As President Xi has mentioned before, U.S.-China relations is one of the most important bilateral ties in the world, and it matters much to world, uh, world peace and world development. If we look at the numbers, China and the U.S. are the world's two largest economies, and speaking of the population of the two countries, combined total uh, will account to nearly one, a quarter of the global population. And speaking of trade, economic, economic cooperation and ties, trade volumes between the two countries uh, accounts for one-fifth of the global volume. And San Francisco uh, here in California, just California alone, uh, with the, the bilateral trade with China amounts to uh, over 160 billion U.S. dollars, a lot of potentials ahead. And the two leaders are expected to talk, uh, exchange views on issues uh, like over the uh, uh, Taiwan trade, uh, about innovation, artificial intelligence to be more specific, and uh, they are going to exchange views on military-to-military -military, uh, communications. And even some people would expect the two leaders to talk about uh, fentanyl. There are people went on the street voluntarily and holding up Chinese flags and American flags and uh, they are shouting welcomes to President Xi to San Francisco and they were playing uh, a very famous Chinese patriotic song Ode to their motherland and it was a pretty exciting scene to see actually. That was Xu Xinchen in San Francisco. China and the United States have pledged to work together to control the global temperature rise. The two sides released a joint statement on their efforts to address climate change. Climate's a major topic at the APEC week in San Francisco as world leaders converge and onlookers eye the developments in the energy sector and the growing electric vehicle marketplace. Andy Hirschfeld reports. 
This week, leaders will discuss the future of sustainability in the region, looking specifically at alternative energy sources. The U.S. and China are two major leaders in the sector. Now, China specifically has led the globe in solar tech manufacturing. Because of U.S. President Joe Biden's focus on developing America's electric vehicle network, experts believe this is a key place for increased cooperation between the two nations. Here's Stuart McIntosh, executive director for the think tank Group of 30. You've got Xi and Biden meeting for the first time in a year. Tensions are very high between the two countries. And yet the reality is they do need to both act on climate change goals to secure their own national goals. It's not just Biden. California Governor Gavin Newsom recently took a trip to China. This was in efforts to find new ways to collaborate. Here's what the governor said in a video released by his office. We have to define the terms of the future. We have to live together across our differences. I don't want to see this relationship deteriorate. There is no solution to the climate change crisis without the cooperation of China. During his trip, he toured Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory. The governor also saw an offshore wind farm. Newsom signed climate pledges with several different provinces across China. McIntosh sees this as a promising development. I see positive steps. Would I like them to be faster? Yes, but I'm, I, I'm modestly pleased with the direction we're headed in, but we need to speed up. Meanwhile, sustainability efforts have been overshadowed by fossil fuels. Coal and natural gas still remain top of mind as the global north heads into the colder winter months. China is the world's largest producer of coal, and the United States leads the world in natural gas production. This comes amid those ongoing supply chain strains and OPEC production cuts. In June, the group of oil-producing nations kept cuts in place through the end of the year, and that means that other world powers have had to pick up the slack in the global market. This comes alongside the surging electric vehicle marketplace. The sector saw key growth in the United States, China, and in South Korea in recent years. The Biden administration put in place incentives as well for automakers to build more EVs stateside. Meanwhile, China ramped up its own domestic offerings. The country's NEV market is likely to expand at a compound annual growth rate of around 38% from 2021 to 2025, with the total market size reaching 13 million units in 2025. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Eddie Hirschfeld, reporting from New York. Former Director General of the World Trade Organization says amicable China-U.S. ties are not just important for the two countries, but fundamental for the world at large. Roberto Azevedo encouraged both sides to engage with each other despite their many differences. They should be open to talk. They should be open to understand that they will hear something that they don't want to hear, right? <laughs> but that understanding where the other side is coming from is extremely important. Being in a position to put yourself in the other side shoes and understand where they come from, yeah. why are they thinking differently, and what can be done to, to get closer together. Former WTO chief emphasized that good relations between the world's two largest economies can go a long way to make uh, other nations feel safe and co uh, confident. There are more than 280 pairs of sister provinces, states, and cities between China and the United States. In a message to the 5th China-U.S. Sister Cities Conference earlier this month, Chinese President Xi Jinping said these links are important for deepening friendship and achieving win-win cooperation. Among the sisterhoods are Qingdao, China, and Long Beach, California. Liu Xin spoke with Dr. Mary Barton of the Long Beach Qingdao Association. Dr. Barton, tell us a bit about this friendship, sister city relationship between Long Beach in California and Qingdao in eastern China. How long does the story go back? Well, it goes back to 1985, and uh, some of our city fathers went to Qingdao and realized that we had a lot in common, and they came back and recommended that we become sisters, and so we did, and uh, we've maintained a very close and collaborative relationship ever since for 35 years or more. What has this 40 years of sister, sister relationship with, with the Chinese city meant for the people in the city of Long Beach? I would say it has meant a chance to learn a little bit about Qingdao and China and the Chinese culture 
Now, not many of them, of course, get to travel to Qingdao, but some of them do, and we help support that by funding trips and guiding trips over there. But also, we have events here in town during the year where we give them a taste of Chinese culture, like Chinese New Year. Mm. And so, from the littlest children to the adults, they get a, a taste of China. Why is that important? Why do you think that that the, the city continues to wants to maintain and even foster, continue to foster this relationship in well, today's world? Sure. In today's world, it's very important. We believe that people understand the people of the other country, and so sister cities very much relies on people-to-people -people relationships. So we try to help people understand not the politics, not what's going on necessarily in Beijing and Washington, but how do people live? What do they want out of their lives? And it turns out we have a lot in common. What is the potential, though, you see in people-to-people -people, uh, exchanges between two sides? What do you, how do you look at that and uh, the potential in people-to-people -people, or the resilience that we can get from people-to-people -people relationship? Well, to me, the greatest hope for that sort of thing is with the youth, so like college students. If they learn at that tender age that the people in China are really pretty much like the people here and have the same goals and hopes, I think that by the time they are in leadership positions, they will be able to take that understanding and make more chance of peace, prosperity for everybody, and understanding. Now, of course, that's a hope. We don't know exactly, mm. but if we don't do that, how will they be when they're 40 years old and they start to get into a leadership mm. position and all they know is what they read in the news? Mm. It's just not safe. That was a conversation about sister cities helping bring people closer. An Asia-Pacific community with a shared future is one part of President Xi Jinping's vision for humanity's future. And the Chinese president proposed this shared future concept a decade ago. Soon Tian Yuan explains what it means. The Chinese leader paid his first visit to the United States as president in 2013, and his destination was also California. In the same year, Xi attended his first APEC summit as president and proposed the blueprint of a building of a community with a shared future in the Asia-Pacific region. And the proposition has provided a common goal and vision for promoting peace and prosperity in the Asia-Pacific. It was later written into the joint declarations of APEC and became the common will of all members, including the U.S. Over the past decade, President Xi has always advocated for openness and inclusiveness greater connectivity and win-win cooperation. And for example, last year in Bangkok, President Xi once again called on all member economies to build an Asia-Pacific of peace and stability and to stay committed to openness and inclusiveness. China has upheld multilateralism in promoting regional economic integration. And the country has also vowed to make more contributions in fostering innovative growth. In 2021, President Xi called openness the lifeline of Asia-Pacific cooperation and promised that his country will unswervingly expand opening up and share its development opportunities with other APEC members and the wider world. That was Sun Tianyuan on the China-proposed Asia-Pacific community with a shared future. Peru will take over the rotating leadership of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation at the end of this month. The South American country is hoping the much-needed opportunity will boost its economy. Dan Collins reports from Lima. Peru has held the presidency of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum twice before. But this third occasion could not come at a better time. Peruvian Finance Minister Alex Contreras announced last month the economy is in recession for the first time in 25 years, not including the COVID-19 pandemic. The last two times that Peru held the APEC presidency in 2008 and 2016, it was one of the region's strongest economies, reportedly bringing in nearly $9.5 billion in investments. It's hoped that hosting the forum of 21 Pacific member economies could throw Peru a lifeline. The APEC presidency will give us this ex exposure and um, our main partners actually are in there, the United States and, and China. Um, China is our first e economic uh, trading partner, but also uh, one of the 
if not the most important, one of the most important investors in the country. Peruvian officials say the APEC presidency helps promote the image of a country as a place to do business. Peru has a lot of untapped mineral wealth and fresh food production to offer the world. And the Pacific Rim is home to its two largest trading partners. Expanding trade could be key to reinvigorating its flagging economy. Peru has more than 20 bilateral free trade agreements. And with the construction of a new Pacific port in Chiang Peru hopes to become the export hub for South America. The $3.6 billion project is a private venture between Chinese state-owned conglomerate Costco Shipping Ports Limited and the Peruvian mining company Volcan. The slogan for the port is from Chiang Kai to Shanghai. China is also counting on cooperation among developing countries in the global south, particularly regions of Latin America. And China is putting a lot of emphasis on the South-South cooperation because I think in the end they realized South-North, it's a little problematic. The APEC members represent 62% of the world's economy. Just as it has before, Peru is betting on APEC to boost its foothold in the global economy. That was Dan Collins on Peru's expectations from APEC. Coming up, the U.S. avoids a government shutdown this weekend. From sustainability and digitalization to trade, health, and energy security, 21 major Asian Pacific economies gather to address the most pressing global challenges and to create a future of sustainable economic growth. Join CGTN for our coverage of APEC 2023. It's 15 minutes past the hour. U.S. House of Representatives has passed a short-term funding bill that'll spare the government a shutdown this weekend. It scored a win for new Speaker Mike Johnson. Lawmakers last voted a shutdown at the 11th hour only two months ago. Kate Fisher reports from Washington. The U.S. is a step closer to keeping its government open past Saturday. The bill needed the support of two-thirds of the House to pass, meaning the new House Speaker, Republican Mike Johnson, had to rely heavily on votes from Democrats. Some right-wing conservative Republicans refused to support the bill because it didn't contain spending cuts. In fact, far more Democrats supported the new Republican House Speaker's bill than members of his own party. With 209 Democrats joining 127 Republicans to clear the threshold needed for passage. That's an almost identical vote tally to that which led to the ousting of the previous Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. He also tried to pass a bill with no spending cuts and with Democratic support. The bill is in two stages, funding some government agencies, including veterans' benefits, housing and agriculture, through mid-January, and others, including defence, through early February. It does not include additional aid for Israel or Ukraine. That was Kate Fisher reporting. Hamas has said it holds Israel and the United States fully responsible for the Israeli army's raid of the biggest hospital in Gaza. The Israeli army says it's conducting a precise and targeted operation against Hamas at Al-Shifa Hospital. Israel accused Hamas of hiding its fighters inside the hospital, saying Hamas has a command center underneath the complex and uses the hospital and tunnels beneath it to conceal military operations and to hold hostages. Hamas has denied the claims. The hospital has houses hundreds of patients, medical personnel, and civilians. EU defense officials say they're unlikely to fully provide Kyiv with promised military aid. They were hoping to deliver a million rounds of ammunition to Ukraine's front line by spring next year. But Latvian Defense Minister Andres Sprud says the target should not be taken too literally. Well, uh, of course, uh, one million rounds are symbolic. Uh, I think aspiration and ambition is important. So the timeline also depends on uh, those steps which will be made, how successfully. But I think in this case, uh, the political intention uh, to uh, provide one million rounds and beyond also the different kind of uh, support is the most important. EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell also cast doubt over the goal. He said the industry is capable of producing that much ammunition. But there are also logistics to consider. Uh, Borrell suggests that one way to solve the issue is to redirect current EU exports and prioritize Ukraine. 
The U.N. Security Council has voted unanimously to adopt a resolution renewing the sanctions on the Houthi rebels of Yemen. The British-drafted resolution extends the arms embargo on those rebels. The resolution also extends an asset freeze and travel ban on Houthi leaders and top officials until November 15th of next year. It also decides to extend the mandate of the U.N. panel of experts tasked to assist in monitoring the implementation of the sanctions until December 15th of next year. A U.K. Deputy Ambassador to the U.N., James Kariuki, has thanked the Security Council for what he describes as its show of unity. This show of unity sends a clear signal that the Council continues to be fully supportive of intra-Yemeni process under UN auspices. We as a Council stand ready to support the efforts of Special Envoy Grimberg and Yemeni stakeholders in securing a durable peace in wow. Yemen. Last February, the UN Security Council expanded an arms embargo on Houthi leaders to include all Houthis, saying they've threatened the peace, security and stability of Yemen. Coming up, Xinjiang region's pilot-free trade zone is helping to open China. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. We're at 20 minutes past the hour. Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region is stepping up efforts to build a pilot-free trade zone, facilitating its role as a bridgehead for China's westward opening up. As Gao Junya reports, Xinjiang's bustling land passes are boosting the region's westward opening with vibrant flows of businessmen and cargo. At the Kunjarab Pass in Tashkurgan, Tajik Autonomous County, hundreds of Pakistani people are briskly crossing back to their homeland. Laden with clothes, blankets, hardware and various goods, those border residents are connecting the two countries through trade. Tajbek runs a hardware shop in Sost, Pakistan's nearest town to the Kunjarab Pass. This year, 30 times I will came here. I have a shop uh, in my hometown. Uh, I just take goods from uh, Kashgar, Urumqi, Gangzhou and take it to my hometown and sell there. Touch's family business, which has been running for 20 years, relies on the smooth exchange facilitated by the Chinese side. As you know, we are friends. Uh, when we came here, the people are uh, good with us. They good deal with us. They are honest with us. This sole land port between China and Pakistan is serving as a lifeline for many Pakistanis like Taj to run businesses and make a living. Based on bilateral agreements, outbound travelers can carry goods valued at up to 8,000 yuan per trip. And the vital port, which opens from April to November, is now planning year-round operation, boosting bilateral trade. Taj eagerly anticipates this expansion. It's very, very benefit for us because the border is open 12 months. It means you, you are making 12 months of business. There are four land passes in southern Xinjiang. Along with Kunjarab, there is also the Karasu Pass, the Urkishtan Pass, and the Toragar Pass. Together with the Kash International Airport, these five ports stand as gateways to Central Asia, West Asia, Europe, and beyond. At the Toragar Pass in the Kizilsu Kyrgyz Autonomous Prefecture, countless trucks loaded with commodities queue for the Kyrgyzstan border. Xiaowu Kaiji Abu Dukulimu runs a logistic company. We transport a variety of goods, including daily necessities, clothes, fabrics, and agricultural products, to Kyrgyzstan and other countries. We have a fleet of 1,300 trucks running on the road every month, each of which carrying 20 to 30 tons of cargo. Abu Dukalimu notes a recent uptick in vehicle exports, primarily to Russia. He plans to expand his storage facilities to meet the growing demand. We handle 20,000 vehicles every month, which takes up 40% of our cargo. We've upgraded our storage with more platforms, and we are planning further expansion. Toragar Pass Management Committee Director Li Wang says the pass is embracing opportunities spurred by central government policies. 
We're beefing up our efforts to improve logistics, promote cross-border tourism, and nurture local industries. We're now setting up an industrial park for new energy vehicles. In the last 10 years, our annual cargo volume was 400,000 to 500,000 tons. This year, it's shot up to 800,000 tons. We're targeting six to eight million tons per year by 2025. Xinjiang is accelerating its role as China's conduit for westward opening up. The land passes are set to display more vitality in the region's economic expansion. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Gao Junya, reporting from Atushi, Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. The education sector in Thailand is trying to catch up with the digital age. Investment from China is helping pave the way for schools in Thailand to undergo a digital transformation. And Dusita Sakao has、uh, more. They have always been two Thailands: one that lives in modern cities, the other in rural towns and villages. Both integral to the nation, yet deeply divided in income, education, and technology. COVID-19 made this divide obvious. Lack of resources, digitally inept teachers, and failure to implement an effective online curriculum meant that adapting to this seismic shift became education's Achilles' heel. But if there ever was a silver lining from COVID's devastation, it's that it gave rise to education startups, startups like School Bright, hoping to apply technology to help improve Thailand's education system. Teachers spend their 42% of their time doing work that is not related to student at all. So if we can help teachers to, you know, reduce this 42%. They will have their valuable time back to the to those students who need them again. But how are rural traditional Thai schools adapting to 21st century technology? In Thailand's ancient city of Ayutthaya, the past, present, and future are merging. Morning roll call, no teachers required. The parents get real-time notifications on their phone that their child has arrived at school. Payments all scan through the Schoolbrite platform. Academic progress, homework management, tuition payments, two-way communication between teachers and parents—all done digitally. If there's any technology that can help solve problems in school, our school is ready to just and learn about new technologies. Although Schoolbrite had the perfect opportunity to penetrate the education system, they faced major bottlenecks. Schoolbrite needed to scale to meet the demand, and Huawei Cloud, the cloud computing platform under Huawei, the Chinese tech giant, would become their saving grace. I felt Huawei is the one of the most invested in terms of education tech for good. Working with Schoolbrite has given us. Giving Huawei an opportunity to see beyond just supporting talent, you can see what talent can become. A catastrophic disaster accelerated the digitalization of Thailand's education system. Thai schools are now adapting, preparing students for a world that does not yet exist, for future jobs that have yet to appear. That was、uh, Dusita Salkal in Thailand. Bolivia's National Meteorology and Hydrology Service has issued a red alert for seven of the country's nine departments due to a coming heatwave. The red alert warns of potential risk from the extreme weather event from Wednesday through Sunday. The agency urged the population to take preventative measures and follow authorities' instructions.、Uh, several Bolivian regions have experienced record-setting high temperatures since、uh, September, which could be surpassed over the coming days. El Nino, combined with global warming, has contributed to rising temperatures in South America. Vietnam is aiming to increase the share of renewable energy in the primary energy supply to around 85 percent in 2050. Officials say coal-derived coal power will be completely phased out by 2050. A gas-derived power is expected to become the core part of the energy mix by 2030, but will be gradually superseded by hydrogen by 2050.
At 28 past the hour, Beijing down to plus 2 overnight. Sunny skies and a high of 11 on Thursday. Chongqing's 12 tonight, then cloudy with the high of 16. Lasses down to 0, then sunny and 15. Hong Kong dips to 18 degrees, then cloudy with the high of 25. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 9 overnight. It'll be cloudy and 17 on Thursday. Islamabad's at 13 tonight, then cloudy and 24. Bangkok's down to 25 degrees, then rainfall with the high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi's getting rainfall in 24 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's 18 this evening. Overcast skies and a high of 25 on Thursday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese President Xi Jinping's now in San Francisco for a one-on-one -on -one talk with U.S. President Joe Biden, as well as the APEC meetings. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown, and Xinjiang stepping up efforts to build a pilot free trade zone. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday. Still to come. In business, China's economy showed signs of improvement in October. In sports, Hebei province will host a major ski and snowboard event. In culture and entertainment, Beijing launches a global performing arts association. Contact us. You can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. China and the United States have released a joint statement on their efforts to address the challenges posed by climate change. The statement coincides with the meeting between the presidents of the two countries in San Francisco. Both countries pledged to work towards controlling the global average temperature increase below 2 degrees Celsius and striving for 1.5 degrees. China and the U.S. have agreed to establish a climate action working group to speed up actions in energy transition, methane reduction, the circular economy, and other areas. The European Union has acknowledged that it may be failing to live up to the promise to provide Ukraine with the ammunition the country needs. EU leaders promised earlier this year to provide a million rounds of ammunition to the front lines by spring next year, but the bloc is finding it tough to come up with the goods. Foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell cast out on the goal. The industry, according with uh, the Commission, has the capacity. By March, we'll have the capacity of producing one million rounds. But um, an important part of it is being exported, and it has to be rerouted and reprioritized. This is about the ammunition issue. We have to provide the industry with uh, a clear horizon. They need uh, predictability on what we expect from them. But he also says that the promise remains the bloc's political goal and that they will continue pushing for it and doing everything every day to deliver more ammunition. Ukrainian media reports say that the EU military aid for the country has reached 27 billion euros or 29 billion US dollars since its conflict with Russia began. 
The military assistance includes ammunition, air defense systems, tanks, and other weaponry and equipment. The U.S. House has passed a spending bill to prevent a government shutdown. Representative Steve Womack says the lower chamber voted overwhelmingly to approve the funding measure. On this vote, the yeas are 336, the nays are 95. Two thirds being in the affirmative, the rules are suspended. The bill is passed, and without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The bill will extend funding for some agencies and programs until January 19th, and others through February the second. Heavy rains have brought flooding to Gaza, where people displaced by weeks for, of fighting are living in tents. Those sheltering at a makeshift camp in Deir Abala cover their tents with plastic sheets to limit the damage as much as possible. A Mohammed Shaheen moved a car tire to the center of a tent to sit on it, holding her two daughters in her lap all night. She says she has nothing to keep the girls warm. When it started raining, I blocked the outer part with sand so that water does not seep through. I have two little girls here, and it's cold, and they're not wearing winter clothes, only summer clothes. And I do not know what to do. It's cold here all night now. But the mother also found the rain a blessing and gathered it in buckets for drinking. Data shows that fighting between Hamas and Israel has forced about two thirds of people in Gaza outside of their homes. Many of the residents in a coastal town in Iceland have briefly returned home to collect their belongings ahead of a possible volcanic eruption. People left Grindavik last weekend after seismic activity and underground lava flows intensified near the capital, Reykjavik. They had to flee again on short notice after the fishing town's meteorological office detected elevated levels of sulfur dioxide. Electricity consumption in Brazil has topped 100 gigawatts for the first time ever, as regions across the country face extremely high temperatures. National power system operator ONS has noticed a trend of high electricity use in recent months, even before the euro spike in temperatures in December, when summer begins in the southern hemisphere. Back to you, Shane. And thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's economy showed signs of improvement in October. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impacts of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Thirty-six minutes past the hour.、Uh, in business, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more.、Uh, investors were largely consumed by、uh, the latest data, some of which you've just mentioned.、Uh, the Chinese mainland markets rose after the、uh, better-than-expected growth in both retail sales and industrial output. Both sets of data were at their best in、uh, five or six months.、Uh, we、uh, saw the Shanghai Composite add more than half of one percent. The Shenzhen Component Index rose three quarters of one percent.、Uh, the boost to investor sentiment, though, was capped a bit by property data、uh, that showed、uh, that sales continue to decline,、uh, investment continues to fall in that sector, and、uh, it did make real estate shares one of the few sectors in decline today.、Uh, financial and energy stocks were the biggest contributors to gains, though, on the Shanghai. High markets,、uh, blue chips like China Life Insurance, China Merchants Bank, and PetroChina were all、uh, rising pretty strongly. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up nearly four percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained around two point five percent. Chinese authorities say economic activity showed signs of improvement, indicating a sustained recovery in October. According to data from the National Bureau of Statistics, the country's yearly industrial output grew by 4.6 percent and recorded a slight increase compared to the previous month. Investment in fixed assets from January to October reached nearly 42 trillion yuan, or roughly 5.8 trillion U.S. dollars, and that was a 3 percent increase. Retail sales of consumer goods in October surpassed 4 trillion yuan. Marking a 7.6% yearly growth rate, and that was the fastest since May. Overall, employment remained relatively stable during this period. Official data shows that China's value-added industrial output, an important economic indicator, went up 4.6% on a yearly basis in October. Liu Aihua is the spokeswoman of the National Bureau of Statistics. 
In terms of the three categories, the added value of mining industry grew by 2.9% year-on-year, and that of manufacturing industry grew by 5.1%. The added value of equipment manufacturing industry showed a year-on-year -year increase of 6.2%, 0.7-percentage points faster than the previous month. This marks the third consecutive month of rebound. From January to October, industrial output rose 4.1 percent. The industrial output is used to measure the activity of enterprises, uh, each with an annual main business turnover of at least 20 million yuan, or roughly 2.8 million U.S. dollars. Official data shows that China's service production index went up 7.7 percent on a yearly basis. The growth rate was 0.8 points faster than the September level. The sub-reading for accommodation and catering surged by 21.3 percent. The sub-index tracking the performance of transportation, warehousing and postal services climbed 13 percent. The combined revenues of major service enterprises rose over 7 percent in the January to September period. According to the National Bureau of Statistics, spending in the service sector has sustained rapid growth. In the first 10 months, retail sales of services rose by 19% uh, on the year, 0.1 points faster than that of the first nine months. Official data shows that last year, China's imports and exports with other APEC economies reached 3.7 trillion U.S. dollars, accounting for nearly 60% of the country's total. Eight of China's top 10 trading partners are other APEC members, and uh, the country ranked as the largest trading partner to 13 other APEC economies. Investment from other APEC economies in China accounted for nearly 87% of total foreign investment last year. Over 73% of the country's outbound investment went to other APEC members. Industry leaders are hailing China's role in strengthening economic collaboration with APEC countries. For more on this, Juju spoke with Kevin Ali, co-chair of the Private Sector Host Committee. You just went to Shanghai, right, in yes. September. Yes. Yeah, Shanghai is a very prominent healthcare hub. Were there any innovative medical methods or innovative labs that really impressed you? Well, Juju, I, I, I'm really glad you brought that up because that was just a recent visit in September, as you say. I had a wonderful opportunity to have a meeting, a sit-down meeting, a long one, with Mayor Gong of, uh, of uh, Shanghai. And it's not often that CEOs actually have a chance to meet him. We talked about the opportunities to work closer together as a company and as Shanghai. Shanghai is our home. And what we're doing right now is working with a lot of Chinese companies in the biotech space to work together for China for China strategies, to work together, or China for the world strategies. So we see China emerging in terms of a hub for innovation and biotech, a number of other different areas. There's some really interesting assets that are in the area of women's health, and assets that are in the areas of kind of what I would call uh, outside of women's health, but still touch the area of women's health uh, innovation. And so we've done a couple of deals, one actually with a company called Henlius, which is a well-known biotech company. We talked about moving uh, manufacturing facilities into China. We talked about a number of different uh, initiatives around fertility mm -hmm. investments, because there's a lot of things being done in Beijing right now for fertility support. But I think Shanghai, Mayor Gong, is also very interested in being able to address that issue. So, um, you know, Shanghai is ex incredibly uh, dynamic uh, and incredibly uh, innovative. And there's a lot of investments going on right there. And we, it's our second largest market. So we have a lot of investments. Yeah. And how is Organic planning to work with these advanced research institutions or those medical uh, organizations that you mentioned in Shanghai to boost our prosperity and healthcare in the broader Asia Pacific region? Well, I think it's in, I think it's in the, 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 the interests of the Chinese government, as well as the Shanghai province, to create an environment where the world can see some of the innovation that China actually brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Because it's always been to some extent where innovations have come into China, mm -hmm. and now we need to see kind of, especially in the healthcare field, innovations from China going out to the rest of the world. I'll give you an example of an innovation that came into China. Mm -hmm. I, at that time, was, in, was working in another company, and I got a call uh, in the middle of the night to come to China to, to, to negotiate for bringing human papillomavirus, HPV vaccine, Gardasil, to China. Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese government was amazing. It sprung into action. 
And what usually sometimes takes four or five years to get regulatory approval, they did it in nine days. Subsequent to that, millions of women have been vaccinated against HPV in China. And so that's an example of innovations coming into China. Now we need to take innovations from China outside to the rest of the world to have the same type of impact. Uh, it's great to have President Xi here along with President Biden. We met actually recently with the Vice President of China in New York in conjunction with the uh, United Nations meeting. There was a number of CEOs. The one thing we said to him is it would be wonderful to have President Xi here because then it'll send a signal to the rest of the world that we're on a good path. And that was Kevin Ali, co-chair of the Private Sector Host Committee, talking about China's role in strengthening economic collaboration with other APEC member countries. In the two years since its launch, the Beijing Stock Exchange has served as an important platform for innovation-oriented small and medium-sized enterprises to raise funds. That bourse has a focus on the small and innovative SMEs. As of Tuesday, 229 companies had gone public on the bourse with a market value of more than 280 billion yuan, or roughly 38.6 billion U.S. dollars. 91% of them specialize in high technologies, and nearly half of them are uh, so-called Little Giants, which have received accreditation at the national level. Around 90% of the companies listed on the BSE made a profit in the first three quarters of this year. The 25th China High Tech Fair is underway in Shenzhen, featuring the debut of cutting-edge technologies and new products. The five-day events achieved several milestones, including a record-breaking exhibition area and unprecedented participation from over 100 countries and regions. The fair includes 19 exhibition zones, highlighting the achievements and products of domestic and international scientific and technological innovation and the environmental protection sector. The event will also witness the debut of cutting-edge technologies and products. A wide array of technology exchanges and investment promotion activities, including over 130 forums and signing ceremonies, will facilitate innovation, industry, and funding. That was your business report. Coming up in sports, Hebei Province will host a major ski and snowboard event. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 46 minutes past the hour now and joining us with sports here is Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. The FIS Free Ski and Snowboard Halfpipe World Cup is coming up in Hebei province next month. Beijing Winter Olympics gold medalist Gu Ailing will compete. Several other stars also confirmed their participation. They include X Games champion Gaon Choi. The South Korean prodigy is the youngest X Games snowboard halfpipe champion, winning at age 14 in January. Beijing Winter Olympics gold medalists Ayumu Hirano and Nico Porteous will also be there. Authorities have confirmed that the Webb Ellis Cup is safe after South Africa rugby's offices were broken into this week. Reports emerged that the offices were robbed. SA rugby officials have confirmed the news. They also confirmed that all of the trophies stored in the offices are safe. There are no confirmed details at this point over what exactly was stolen. Among the trophies stored in SA Rugby's offices is a replica of the Webb Ellis Rugby World Cup. The Springboks retained the title after winning a second consecutive World Cup final in France. In tennis, home favourite Yannick Sinner roared to victory over Novak Djokovic at the ATP Finals in Turin. World number 1 Djokovic's winning streak was halted at 19 matches as Sinner won 7-5-6-7-7-6. Sinner said his confidence has increased. You know, as I always say, it's um, it's part of the the process, and um, I, I I feel that I'm a little bit more confident in a certain moment in a, in a match. Um, then you know, I I guess I still have to learn many things. No, it's um, I think I was really brave and intelligent in a, in in important moments, especially in the third set. Um, I felt like we both were serving really really well, so it was. There were not so many exchanges, and you know. But then, when when the exchanges were were played, you know, we, we I think we both played really really well, and you know, at the end was a really high level match. Stefanos Tsitsipas lasted just three games against Holger Rune before pulling out with injury. The Greek apologized to the fans.
My apologies to to all the fans and the crowd that came to support me today and watch the match. Um, it really, I'm gutted that I wasn't able to finish the match. I practiced the last few days. I didn't spend a lot of time on the court. I had a little bit of trouble with my movement. Uh, it, it's mainly affected when I move, and it's difficult to compete at the match without having to move. This is tennis. This is not a. Uh, darts. So for me, it's uh, important um, to be fit and feel good with my back. Um, the the pain was um, very big. Um, I've gone through pain during matches in the past, and I endured pain. But uh, this was uh, clearly too much to handle, and I had to take the difficult decision to do what I did. Tsitsipas will now be replaced in the green group by Herbert Hercats. In basketball, Golden State Warriors guard Stephen Curry has had an MRI on his knee. Curry did not play against the Minnesota Timberwolves due to right knee soreness. Curry took a hard fall in the second half of the loss in their first clash with Minnesota, but immediately continued to play. However, he was seen rubbing his right knee. Curry has been carrying a heavy load for the Warriors, averaging 30 points. He has scored at least 30 points in six of Golden State's 11 games thus far, scoring 40 or more in two. Argentina is gearing up for the upcoming FIFA World Cup qualifiers. The team face historic rivals Uruguay this week. Despite several absences due to tight schedules, their spirits remain high. Lionel Messi's presence at the training ground definitely lifted spirits. Argentine forward Paulo Dybala praised Messi and veteran Angel Di Maria. I hope Angel Di Maria will stay forever, that he can remain with us, as he is a great person and an excellent teammate. We will try to stop him from leaving, and Lionel Messi is very good. He's doing very well. He is always very happy when he arrives, and it's nice to see him like this. Argentina faces another great rival when they take on Brazil next week. Luis Diaz has reunited with his father for the first time since the latter's kidnapping ordeal. The National Liberation Army released Luis Manuel Diaz 12 days after taking him hostage. The Liverpool and Colombia winger remained with Liverpool through this period, up to their win over Brentford. He has since returned to Colombia ahead of their World Cup qualifier against Brazil. The Colombian FA shared pictures of the father and son's emotional reunion on X. Diaz's father has said he would remain in Colombia despite his difficult kidnapping experience. Superstar golfer Rory McIlroy insists that top-secret talks between the PGA Tour and Live Golf must remain under wraps for now. A framework agreement that brought an end to their disagreements was announced in June. McIlroy is optimistic of a resolution, but was unwilling to expand on discussions until then. I think if you were in the middle of it, you would see that there's a, there's a path forward. Um, it's just that no one on the outside has any details, right? You know? List lips, sink ships. So, you know, we're trying to keep it tight within the walls. And, um, you know, I'm sure when there's, there's news to tell, it will, it will be told. An agreement to merge the commercial interests of the tours by the end of the year looks in doubt at this stage. And finally, General Motors is set to join Formula One as a power unit manufacturer from 2028. Reports state that they may power Andretti Cadillac should their bid be successful. The American manufacturer is best known for owning Chevrolet, GMC and Cadillac. They will enter the sport in the third season of F1's new technical regulations, which begin in 2026. Ford has already announced an F1 technical partnership with Red Bull and Alfa Tori from 2026. Honda officially returns as well, supplying Aston Martin's engines from the same year. Audi will take over the current Alfa Romeo Salva team from 2026. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, Beijing launches a global performing arts association. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away, Stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, Niu Lang said, 
Marry Me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back and the dog swam across the broad river. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. At 54 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment now, and Beijing's launched the World Association for Performing Arts. Got underway with a sonic boom as symphonic music took center stage. Yang Guang has more. This year, leaders of globally renowned symphony orchestras, such as the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and the New York Philharmonic, as well as scholars from institutions like the Central Conservatory of Music and the China Conservatory of Music, are taking part in the Beijing Forum for Symphonic Music in person. Under the framework of the Alliance, we organize a diverse range of cultural exchange activities. We rely on the Alliance's media platforms to jointly carry out online broadcasting, promote high-quality art resources, and conduct information sharing. Initiated by the National Center for the Performing Arts, the World Association for Performing Arts aims to build an open platform for communication and regularly hold global forums to encourage collaboration between its members. At present, 30 art institutions from 19 countries across five continents have joined the World Association for Performing Arts. Next year, we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the diplomatic relations between Brazil, my country, and China. And we hope we come back to this place to a concert in the celebration of this so important date. Uh, in July, we, we made a concert uh, between Teatro Real and, and, and the NCPA, and we are working on uh, other projects, uh, collaboration in relation with the orchestra and with the flamenco. The Beijing Forum for Symphonic Music aims to create an international platform for exchange. Master musicians and scholars gather here to jointly explore new possibilities for the future development of symphonic music. Organizers hope that the event can nurture new talents and spur more ideas and creations. That was Yang Guang reporting. The Belgrade Philharmonic Orchestra has celebrated its 100th anniversary in Beijing with a concert at the National Center for the Performing Arts. This is uh, the orchestra's second visit to China, coming 23 years after the first one. A legendary conductor, Zubin Mehta, initiated the China tour, hoping to support the orchestra's international promotion in prestigious music centers. But due to health issues, Mehta had to cancel his performance. The orchestra's China tour has been taken over by uh, Nima Jarvi, a renowned conductor from Estonia. Shanghai's hosted an international forum on waterfront art. Our participants also explored the impacts of public art in contemporary urban lifestyles. The creation of a public art waterfront in Shanghai will soon follow. International and local elements will be integrated into the expansive waterfront in the city with an aim of creating a distinctive and revolutionary waterfront lifestyle. The Confucius Institute in Prague has marked its fifth anniversary at the University of Finance and Administration. The celebration included Chinese dragon dance, a Chipao dress show, and Czech traditional music. Chinese ambassador Feng Biao praised the Institute's contributions in advancing language and cultural exchanges and fostering people-to-people ties between China and the Czech Republic. Launched in 2018, the Confucius Institute in Prague is a joint project with Jilong University in Hangzhou, Zhejiang Province. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 
58 minutes past the hour. Uh, Beijing's down to plus two overnight. That'll be followed by sunny skies and a high of 11 on Thursday. Chongqing's 12 this uh, this evening, then cloudy and 16. Last is down to zero, then sunny and 15. Hong Kong dips to 18 degrees overnight, then cloudy skies and a high of 25 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's nine overnight. It'll be cloudy and 17 on Thursday. Islamabad's at 13 tonight, then cloudy and 24 degrees. Bangkok's down to 25, then rainfall with a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi's getting rain and 24. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's 18 this evening with overcast skies and a high of 25 on Thursday. Auckland's down to 13, then overcast and 21. Port Vila, sunny and 28 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Chinese President Xi Jinping is now in San Francisco for one-on-one talks with U.S. President Joe Biden as well as the APEC meetings. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 